Episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. It's your girl Rita Pierre, your host, and as always, I hope you guys are striving, thriving, and surviving in the streets. So, happy new week, but more importantly, happy early Thanksgiving. I can't believe that I'm saying happy Thanksgiving at this point because I feel like we literally just entered into the month of November. But I remember a friend of mine saying that they believe that the earth is is rotating faster around the sun. I don't know if it's the sun that's rotating around the earth or vice versa. Either way, the movements um, have sped up. And it's crazy because I think my son made the same comment that I think it's documented that the earth is is either rotating faster or whatever the case is. And so either way, we are moving in the speed of light. <laughs> I feel like we're moving. That's why the day seems as if they're, you know, running faster. And this is why I guess we, you know, just started November last week and we're already at the end of the month, which is crazy to me. But either way, it is what it is. So Thanksgiving is coming up and usually we have a Thanksgiving episode this year, you know, we will not. <laughs> There's a lot going on. We have so many awarenesses um, that we are focusing on. But I will say this. I will give I will give a, a, maybe a one minute spiel on Thanksgiving. So we have essentially moved out of emergency COVID phase. I mean, we still are in the pandemic, whether, you know, the news tells you so or not. We are still in the pandemic. People are still catching COVID. However, that emergency COVID uh, feeling has lifted, right? Because we have been getting together. We have been, you know, going out where some of you guys are outside, we're in these streets and whatnot. And so this year I would probably say is probably one of the, the bigger, uh, Thanksgiving get togethers that many of us will have experienced since the beginning of the pandemic, right? I know last year, some of you guys still had Thanksgiving, but I think this year is where you're going to see the big, big, big family get togethers. In fact, my family on one corner, you know, I always say I have four corners of my family. I'm, I know all four corners of my family. So in one of the corners, there's like a 40 to 50 person Thanksgiving get together that's about to go down this week. And so People are a little comfortable at this point getting together. And so with that being said, you know, in our past episodes of the Thanksgiving trauma uh, that we sometimes endure at the table, I think because we haven't, you know, opened up ourselves and we haven't been, you know, available for the attacks, this year might be even worse because a lot of us are dealing with the COVID-30, the COVID-20, meaning we put on about 20 to 30 pounds during La Covida Maria, and we have yet to shed the weight. Uh, Some of us have probably got a little more sensitive as we have not been interacting with individuals and we may be a little more sensitive. Our mental health might not be as stable and therefore we are not mentally uh, able to take these attacks that we might have accepted in the years prior. So my advice is this. 
you know, family is family, friends, they're friends. And I don't condone, you know, the shaming, the random ass questions that probe into your life. Like, why aren't you married yet? Why don't you have kids yet? Why are you fat? Why did you gain weight? You know, like these person, these, these attacks, these personal attacks that we get every year at Thanksgiving, you know, normally I would have like what a Thanksgiving clap back. I would arm you guys with clap backs um, to these scenarios. But what I would say is this, I think the pandemic has taught us so much when it comes to self-love, putting yourself first, letting things roll off your shoulders. What I realize with people who are toxic is that they're going to stay in their toxicity, right? They are going to be who they are going to be, right or wrong, that's just who they are. And a lot of times we want to put effort into changing people who have who have no interest in changing themselves. So there's a few things you can do this Thanksgiving. One, you can remove yourself from the scenario period. Nobody's nobody's nobody nobody says that you need to be at that Thanksgiving get together where you know your aunt, your uncle, you know, the random neighbor that likes to pop up and is in everybody's business. Like there's no reason for you to necessarily be there if you don't feel comfortable. We are grown. We are grown. We pay our own bills. They're not paying bills for us. So if you don't want to be there, have your own Thanksgiving. Stay at home, order food, watch Christmas movies, right? So there's that. Remove yourself completely from the scenario. Number two, go in knowing that these people are probably miserable and this this is the event of the year for them where they can sit here and talk about others and make others feel bad. But know that know that what they're doing is part of their illness, right? It has nothing to really do with you. And so if you go in there thinking that, you know what, this person wants to talk about my weight, wants to talk about how I don't have a husband, yet they are also overweight and they also are unmarried and unattached with no kids. um, I think it might make you feel better to know that they're coming, they're operating from a place of hurt, and hurt people hurt people. But if you go in there with that knowledge, then you won't, you know, it, it'll, I guess it will hurt less, right? Um, going in there knowing that, you know, these people aren't right themselves. So why allow their opinion of you to sink in and cause you to feel some type of way, right? Um, and then the third option is to engage in clapbacks, right? You can engage in clapbacks if if you if you have them. I know Black Twitter was down, and I know that it's touch and go now. But Black Twitter, you know, has clapbacks for days. Just go into the archives, and if you, they have a clapback for every scenario: food, weight, children, husband, education, tattoos. Like they have clapbacks for everything, and so. You know, by the time you hear this episode, we will still be several days before Thanksgiving. And so you can start arming yourselves with Thanksgiving clapbacks if that is the route that you want to take. If you feel like, you know, you need to uh, respond, you need to defend yourself at the Thanksgiving table. My advice this year is to go to Black Twitter. I believe Black Twitter. I hope that Black Twitter will still be available for you. Because that's another conversation, these Twitter streets. Elon Musk is going ape shit. <laughs> and nobody knows. Like, he's going rogue. He's gone rogue. We have no idea what Twitter, what Twitter's fate is. It's literally, you know, a day-by-day thing. It's a touch-and-go situation. But I would say, if you have the time, go into the Twitter archives, the Black Twitter archives, and you will find a clapback for every scenario. 
So those are my three things. One, remove yourself from the situation. Two, uh, understand that, you know what? Hurt people hurt people and they're haters. And this is this is the highlight of their of their year, of their life even. And don't take it personal. And three, if you feel like you must engage, because some of us just have to, we just have to clap back. That's just in our nature, it's in our DNA. We can't let things slide. Arm yourselves accordingly by going to Black Twitter and getting, you know, the clapbacks that you need. But with that being said, I really do hope you guys have an amazing Thanksgiving. Um, there is so much to be grateful for. And, you know, we shouldn't just be grateful on Thanksgiving, but it's like, it's like everything else. It's a moment, you know, it's a time, it's a day for us to sit back. And if you haven't been grateful for the other 364 days, you, you know, this is your day to be grateful um, to reflect on how far you've come, to give yourself grace even, right? So I hope you guys enjoy your Thanksgiving, whether it's done with family or by yourselves, because it's okay to do Thanksgiving by yourself. Either way, today we have an amazing guest, uh, no stranger to the According to RP platform, Madam CEO herself, Jamie Knox, who is the founder and CEO of Black, not Black Ivy Media, <laughs> WJMS Media. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, foreshadowing something here, but, um, of WJMS media, um, those of you who are fans of ARP and have tuned into our shows, you know, that, um, Jamie is a lung cancer fighter. She's a lung cancer warrior. She's actively in this fight of lung cancer and she's been doing an amazing job raising awareness on the issue. And so today we are going to talk about um, a little bit about her journey lung, uh, in lung cancer and also some of the new um, updates, some of the new initiatives that's happening within lung cancer. So you definitely want to keep it locked. And I know that even if you do not have lung cancer, you do not have a friend who has lung cancer. When it comes to these awarenesses, we all have a place in it, especially as black people, because we know that black people are disproportionately affected by these diseases. And there is so many things that we can do um, with respect to early detection. And so we don't want to miss that because you might not have lung cancer today, but guess what? You might have it tomorrow. And you don't need to have smoked a day in your life to get it. And Jamie's story, Jamie will definitely... Um, you know, talk about her journey, but Jamie has shared openly that she's never smoked, no history of lung cancer, and she has stage four. So you definitely want to tune in for that. So with that being said, uh, it's now time for the meat of the show. All right, everyone, I'm here with my very, very special guest, no stranger to the According to RP platform, Madam CEO herself, Jamie Knox. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> I'm always going to do that every time now. <laughs> now I'm doing it. Like I did it for Jediah's birthday. Like when I did the video, my friend was like, why are you ping, 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 pinging your 16 year old? <laughs> ping, 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 pinging. <laughs> Oh man, we're uh, silly. I know, but you know, you you we need the silliness in this life. It's true, it's, true. especially with the topic that we're about to talk about. Mm. <laughs> we need to be a little on a high note. 
Um, so Jamie, you know that we always have new listeners. So as much as I would love to just dive right into this conversation, I still need you to do an intro, let the people know a little bit about who you are, where you're from and what you do. Man, I feel like I should be well-versed in doing this by now, right? Every time I'm like, okay, where do I start? Um, No, so for those folks that are strangers to the show, first of all, welcome to the best show ever. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. But uh, so my name's Jamie. Um, I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in December of 2018. I'm also the owner of WJMS Media. Um, I have been recently just this this year has been the year of the travel. This has been like my eat, pray, love year, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've been really kind of touring around the country a lot and and hitting a lot of events and speaking and and being on panels and really just discussing the importance of lung cancer awareness biomarker testing, um, lung cancer screening and things like that um, in and around the community and trying to just shed so much light, like as much light as possible on lung cancer, because it's, it is definitely an overlooked cancer um, and it needs to be very much more paid attention to. So that is me in a nutshell. All right. Well, you know, I'm always happy to have you on the show to talk about virtually anything, but I think that with November being Lung Cancer Awareness Month, you're always like my my guests of choice to come and talk about it because you're, <laughs> I mean, you're living with, you know, lung cancer, you're living with it and you are a staunch advocate. And I've, you know, had the pleasure of uh, accompanying you to, you know, uh, you know, the lung cancer event, especially in New York City. And so I know you've been doing a lot of amazing things this year. You've, like you said, you've been speaking on panels. Um, and so I want to kind of get into some of the discussions you've been having around lung cancer. Like what, it, what are these discussions looking like now? Cause I know every year, you know, there's like an evolution. So what are these discussions looking like now? What have you been championing, you know, as of late with respect to lung cancer? Well, so it began with me just sort of telling my story most of the time, um, but there's now been these new advancements and there's been a lot more focus being shed on this concept of biomarker testing for really targeted therapies for cancer. And so me, I myself am a, uh, um, I guess, a proponent or somebody who received biomarker testing uh, early on in my treatment, and it's made a world of difference. And I always tell people like biomarker testing is the reason I'm here today, because if I hadn't gotten that when I was in the hospital, I didn't know to ask for it, you know, and it's something that right now is not universally accessible to everybody. And that's a problem because honestly, it's the best way to treat um, any, any of these late stage and these, these different types of cancers. And it's honestly, if you're not getting biomarker testing for your treatment, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice, but it's really just, there's a lot of socioeconomic factors that limit people's access to it um, and people's availability to have it. Uh, so I've been really kind of championing how important it is to have it because I, I can't stress enough. Like if I had just gone into the doctor's office, gotten this diagnosis, and they just hooked me up to chemo or radiation, I wouldn't be here today because it wouldn't have done anything for me. Um, the medication that I'm on now is a targeted therapy, which literally targets the gene mutation that's causing my lung cancer and keeps it from from mutating. So it literally is like having a little mini assassin inside of your your body that's just just really just holding back that one, you know, holding down the fort on that one uh, gene that's mutating and not really affecting the rest of your body. Whereas regular chemo radiation is something that just gets in there and it's like having ninjas that are just, it's like having toddlers hyped up on sugar inside your body, just tearing down everything and swinging from the chandeliers and like really mm-hmm. just messing up everything they can. So 
lately, the things that we've been um, mostly talking about and trying to get a lot of awareness raised up for is biomarker testing and the importance of getting lung cancer screening. Because if you can detect lung cancer early, like the earlier on you can catch it, it's curable, it's treatable, and it's manageable. And a lot of times, most of the time, we're seeing more people getting diagnosed with late stage cancer because they're not candidates for lung cancer screening. And so that's two of the main things that we've been sort of championing and I've been championing in a lot of my speeches and appearances is just those two um, super important concepts in the lung cancer community. Right. And I think that's so important to talk about this because again, you know, you're t- we're talking about testing that can literally save lives. And you mentioned socioeconomic factors and so many other factors that prevent people from getting that testing. And whenever I hear socioeconomic factors, I automatically think about the black community, the black and brown community that have been disenfranchised, you know, where we're the ones who are experiencing these healthcare inequities um, and things of that nature. And so I think it's so important that you're raising more awareness on the access of these, of these things, because, you know, when I think about, um, you know, these diseases in a sense, I'm like, I think, you know, I know people are always looking at it as as like a cost benefit analysis, Um, but it's like if we were able to provide these treatments, these testings, you know, early on, like I feel like we're thinking about cost assessment, you know, where we're saving so much more, right, with this early detection, early testing, early screenings and things of that nature. But then I guess that's what leads people to, to wonder what is the true agenda here then if we are keeping... Uh, you know, groups of people from getting testing that, you know, that not only could save their lives, but could essentially, you know, save, save them dollars. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, conversation to be had regarding, you know, what that true agenda might be, because obviously the, the elephant in the room is the fact that, you know, it's it's more beneficial for them to keep us sick than right. for them to cure us. Mm-hmm. You know, you make way more money off us patients if you keep us sick and whatnot and on medication than if you were to just say, here, take this pill and you don't have to ever come back here again. Well, where's all the money in that for them? You know, right. so there, cancer is a billion dollar industry. And unfortunately, I try not to think about those kinds of things because it just takes you down this really crazy rabbit hole. But in terms of socioeconomic factors, when I think about my tr- treatment, I treated at NYU Langone with a second opinion coming from MSK. And those are two of the best facilities in the United States for cancer treatment. And so they obviously have access to state-of-the-art technologies and the newest advancements and improvements. And so it was a no-brainer. You know, the doctors didn't even, I, I don't recall. And every time people ask me, you know, what the process was like, I'm like, I don't remember asking for biomarker testing. I think it just happened. You know, it wasn't even a question. It was like, no, this is part of what we need to do for you is is biomarker testing. And I'm glad because, you know, I didn't know to ask for it. I wouldn't have known to ask for it. And it's something that I feel really passionate about as as an advocate for lung cancer, that that is not our job. We should not have to ask for you to give us the best possible treatment. That's not fair. You know, your job is to, as a doctor, provide us the best possible care. And if you can't, then get us to somebody or give us the resources so that we can go out and and make it happen for ourselves. But to put the onus on the patient to say, hey, maybe you guys should do biomarker testing on me after hitting them with a bombshell of just saying, hey, you have cancer is just absolutely asinine to me because none of us know to ask for that. It's just not common knowledge. And so for me... 
Um, in terms of, of my treatment and care, I didn't have to ask for it. And I'm grateful because that honestly saved my life. I, I was 100% ignorant to, to biomarker testing until after I had it and realized what it did for me. But there are other people who, you know, maybe in rural communities or maybe in, you know, facility, hospital facilities that are not as state of the art and advanced or maybe struggling. And so they don't have access to the same technology to do biomarker testing. Or maybe it's a proximity thing. Maybe the nearest hospital that can do it is miles and miles away way and people don't have the resources to get there. So there's a lot of different reasons why, um, you know, biomarker testing isn't given to everybody, but I want to make sure that the one common denominator is not that people don't know about it. It's, it's like, I want to make sure that people understand, like, this should be a standard of care. It shouldn't be like, oh, I didn't know about it. So nobody did it. No, it should be like, my doctor is trying to push for me to get it. Now we just need to figure out how to get me there to do it. You know, like, and we can work on access and things like that. But at the very least, the information needs to be presented to the doctors and they need to know that this should be a baseline standard of care. Yeah. And I totally agree with you there. And I think that, that, I mean, that's really the key, right? The baseline standard of care. Um, and, and I think the advocacy work that you're doing around it is amazing. And so one thing that comes to mind is, I guess, how can we, like, what can we do as a community? Um, what can the leaders of the community do to ensure that this is part of that agenda, right? That this is something that actually happens like what it, what does this look like is it lobbying is it writing letters to you know uh our, our elected officials like what what do we do to get this to make this happen I mean, it's a multi-tiered approach. It's absolutely political. Like you do need to be lobbying and and making sure that there is important legislation that's written into the law that says you have to do this for patients. You know, that that's how things typically get changed is when they're mandated through, you know, court systems and through legalities. So there's there's definitely um a need for lobbying to be happening on every level and in every state and in every location that we can. But it's also just an education thing. There needs to be more attention paid to it. And so one of the things that I've been doing is really commercials and PSAs and things like that to let people know like, hey, you need to ask your doctor about biomarker testing. If any time in your treatment, a word, the word cancer comes up, the next question out of your mouth should be biomarker testing. Because it's it's one of those things that is going to be the difference between years on your life and, you know, you have six months left to get your affairs in order. So it's it's mandated it should be mandatory that, you know, people automatically, doctors are automatically doing this for their patients or setting it up in one way or another or helping them get it. But it's it's an it's a multi-layered approach in terms of making it happen. So I think if we can continue to, you know, number one, lobby our politicians and elected officials to say, hey, this is important and it needs to be on the docket. But also number two, if we can educate people that we come into contact with and just say, hey, you know, you have a loved one that's got a cough that's been persisting for a long time, tell them to go get it checked out, tell them to go get a screening, you know, and then be supportive when they do. And if it comes back that heaven forbid, they do have some kind of cancer, the next question should be, okay, ask your doctor about biomarker testing. You know, it's, it's, if everybody just takes somebody under their wing or it takes a couple of people in their lives under their wing to say, Hey, I want to make sure that you're taken care of. Then I think that that's a way that we get the education and the information out there, you know, and, and we continue to talk about it. And we don't just assume that sit back and think that somebody else is going to do it. It has to happen at the molecular level with us talking to each other and telling each other about it. Um, and really just being there to support each other, you know, when we go through it, because there's going to be questions and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's a multi-level approach to it. Right, right. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's sad that it has to be that way, right? When it, when we're talking about health and we're talking about life saving treatments and testings and screenings. Um, so 
you know, with the advocacy that you've been doing around this, how have you been received? How has this information been received? Have you, has there been pushback anywhere? And if so, like, what did that look like? Or what does that look like? There hasn't been any pushback. I would be very, very alarmed if there was pushback. Mm-hmm. So I'd be saying, no, I don't think everybody needs to know about this. Like, what? Okay. <laughs> no, um, there hasn't been any pushback, honestly. It's been well received by by everybody in all the places that I've been, as far as I know. Um, people are usually moved by the conversation because they just they they're presented with information they hadn't known before. And a mm-hmm. lot of people don't know what biomarkers are. Um and so I guess now is as good a time as any to pause for a second and just kind of define what that is so people understand who are not in the medical field or have unfortunately to deal with this kind of situation in their mm-hmm. lives. Um, but biomarker testing is essentially when the doctors or the pathologists go in when you get a, a a scan or something like that that says, hey, there's something, there's something a little bit different about your scan. We need to look into it. When they go in to do a biopsy, they take that tissue sample. They need to make sure that they get enough tissue that they can run biomarker testing on it. And I think I, from what I heard last night, the latest thing is that they can even start to get it from blood. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. just have to get it from from actual tissue. So that's actually something new that I learned yesterday. But um, that being said, you know, they take enough tissue to do testing on it to see if there are any unique genes within that tissue that are able to be treated with a targeted therapy. So rather than chemo and radiation, which literally just shoots your body up with drugs and hoping, just hoping that something sticks, you know what I mean? Like it's targeting the the mutating cells, but it also targets other cells in your body too, because there are other cells in your body that mutate and change and that, that are supposed to do that. And, you know, chemo kind of targets all of that because it just, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a filter. Targeted therapy is a filtered medicine. So it says, Hey, this one over here is okay, but this one right here is a problem. Hit this one. And it, it kind of targets that, that specific gene so that you don't have to worry about the crazy side effects. And so biomarker testing is able to isolate the problem within your body and treat just that problem. And so that's that's part of the reason why the the life expectancy is so much longer on the medications too is because I think that you know regular chemo breaks your body down so much until it weakens your immune system, you can't fight off even the regular colds that may come from just, you know, seasonal changes. Mm-hmm. Um and it it really breaks down all the different organs in your body so that they're not operating at 100% and it just makes it harder for your body to function. Targeted therapy really is only targeting that one specific gene. And so the side effects are minimal. You know, they're definitely manageable and, and live withable, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's biomarker testing is literally just a way to pinpoint what actually is happening in your body and then see if you're a candidate for a treatment that actually will specifically target just that for you rather than destroying everything. So that's kind of in a very layman's unprofessional medical, <laughs> you know, way to explain explain it. That's that's kind of what biomarker testing is. I see. Yeah, no, thank you for that um, explanation, because I think that, you know, obviously those of us who are not necessarily in the medical community, the science community, um, kind of like maybe we understood, but we're like, <laughs> need a little yep. more clarity on that one. Yep, yep, yep. And it's it's not a difficult, you know, it, it's not a difficult um, ask, if you you will, because if you're going in for a biopsy, they're already grabbing tissue, you know, or if you have fluid that's developing or now, now, like I found out yesterday, if you have, you know, blood work that you're getting done, it's not a hard ask for them to just do biomarker testing. It's just an additional step and that's it, you know? So that's why it's so frustrating that it's not 
a standard of care because it's like, it's not like we need you to, to, you know, jump over all these hoops and all these different hurdles to do this. You literally just have to take an extra specimen. That's it. You know, it's not, it's not, um, this huge ask for, for biomarker testing to happen. So that's probably what is fundamentally frustrating that it's not a standard operation of, of care. Right. Uh, it's, it's like, it's always kind of like, you know, why can't we just do what needs to be done, especially <laughs> when it's like available? Why are there hoops, yeah. you know, but I feel like, especially in our community, that's just like the song and dance that we have been singing from like the beginning of time. But what I do appreciate though, is that, you know, there, there are advancements that are happening and that we have individuals like yourself who are, you know, championing the cause that are going out there and, and being vocal about what's available and how it can be made available to anyone who needs it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it's, it's, if you are, you know, in the hospital field or in the hospital industry, you know what I mean? Like you should really kind of poll doctors and, and the, the, the folks in your hospital to see if that's something that they do, or if it's something that they're aware of, you know, just, mm-hmm. See, see on your level if like that's something that the people that you're surrounding with, you're you're surrounding yourself with, are even aware of. And if they're not, it's a good conversation to have to say, hey, we really should be looking into biomarker testing and how we can use this to help cancer patients. You know, (laughs) it's like it's a lot of this stuff is just kind of common sense, and it just it doesn't happen. It's 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 it mind boggles you sometimes. Yeah, it's it's really sad. It's it's definitely sad, and I think that's why a lot of times people are often go straight to this idea of, well, what's the agenda, right? Because it's kind of like, you know, we have the capabilities, we have the technology to do certain things and it's not being done. Awareness is not being made of them. Like what is really going on here? And so it's, it's really sad when, when, you know, when that's where you have to go with all of this, but I mean, I want to shift a little bit now then to like how you are doing, right? Because I always Mm -hmm. say that you are you know, and you know that like the poster child of what (laughs) living with lung cancer looks like for those who, you know, don't smoke, who don't have family history. Like when somebody looks at you, they are not thinking, wow, this girl has cancer. In fact, I would assume that many would, would second guess you and say, yeah, you're lying or, you know, they just don't (laughs) believe you. Cause you know, I mean, you are out here looking, you know, springer than a spring chicken, you're healthy, you know, you look healthy at least like, you know, people, they, they associate certain things with illness and you do not exude that at least with your appearance. So, I mean, how are you doing? And I guess how, you know, how, I, it's like how, you know, I mean, how are you, I don't say how are you living with all of this, but then how do you also balance this, I, this thing where, you know, you're dealing with illness, but you don't look like you're dealing with illness. Uh, <laughs> How am I doing? I'm doing fine. Um, I will say medically, I am stable with no progression, which is great. And I have been that way since sometime between December of 2020 and March of 2021. Somewhere in between those scans, I sort of plateaued and stabilized. And I've been like that ever since. So fingers crossed and knock on wood that I stay that way for as long as possible. But I mean, yeah, there. <laughs> and I laugh because there have been people who are like, like somebody has inboxed me one time, like, are you kidding about this, um, this, about this cancer thing? And I was like, why would I joke about something like that? Like right. what in the world? Like, you know what I mean? So it, it has happened before where people are like, mm, yeah, but I don't think that's true. And I'm like, 
Okay. <laughs> you like, look too good, girl. You look too good. Right. And I'll take that as a compliment. I'll absolutely take it as a compliment. But I mean, it's 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 a daily thing. You know, I don't necessarily wake up every morning and say, all right, let's get it. Like I don't I don't wake mm-hmm. up with that energy. You know, I'm a human being. I feel I've I've gone through my five stages of grief um and all that kind of stuff. And I have those those stages periodically throughout my day and throughout my life, depending on where I'm at. And it's something where I've learned to Feel the emotions, but don't live in that space. Like there's going to be times where I'm sad. There's going to be times where I forget that I have cancer and I'm like, oh shoot, that's right. I do have this. Damn. You know, like, like I forgot to like take the turkey out of the oven or something. And I'm grateful for that because there are not a lot of people in this cancer community that can say that they can actively forget that they have cancer. And so I, I am always very careful about saying that because it it sounds very privileged and I don't want it to come off that way, but I'm grateful that I have even the, the slightest ability to forget every now and then that this is part of my, my journey. But um, there are days where I'm like, I'm tired. Today was a day where I was just absolutely tired. I mean, it's my own fault. I did a whole lot of extra stuff yesterday. <laughs> my body was like, sit it down because we're tired. But I mean, there are some days where I'm just very tired. There are some days where, you know, I have trouble catching my breath every now and then and stuff like that. But honestly, I just try to push forward. I try to keep a positive attitude as much as I can. And I try to to keep moving forward because it's like I always say, you have two options when you get get this kind of diagnosis. You can either cry, curl up in a ball and boohoo and cry, or you can say, all right, that happened and you can keep on moving forward. Um, Now there's always room to do both and believe me, it'll happen. But, you know, I don't live in that boohoo, what was me, you know, section of my life for very long. I let myself feel the emotions and then I'm like, all right, that's done. Uh, Time to get moving. I got to do X, Y, and Z and be, you know, at all these different places. So honestly, I just try to live my life as normally as I did before I had the diagnosis. It's my way of reclaiming the life I had pre-cancer. Um, and and showing folks that I'm not my diagnosis. You know, I was I'm a living, breathing person before cancer, and I'm a living, breathing person after it. Like it, this is not taking anything away from from my life experience as much as I, I'm possible. I'm not letting it do that. So I just try to keep that mindset at all times. And you know, the, I think the important thing though is to feel feel your emotions and feel those feelings. Don't try to bottle it up and ignore it or push past it. It's not healthy to do that. You have to allow your body to you know, go through it and to feel it and to acknowledge it because that's how you, you, that's how you come to terms with it a little bit, you know, and that's how you, it's the healthiest way to do it. So, um, it took me a while, but I, I've learned to not live in a space of sadness and try to stay in a place of gladness as long as I can. Oh, I love that. I love that quote. It's quotable. (laughs) (laughs) I'll drop a couple nuggets every now and then. You know, here and there, a couple (laughs) gems, dropping gems here and there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it sounds like mental health and like a str- like mental wellness is a big part of this journey because a lot of the things that you're saying, you know, for me, I'm like you have to be of a mindset like of a of a of a, of a, of a I don't want to say a stable mindset, but you know, there's work right that that you have to do to get to that level. Even you know, even if you're somebody who's not dealing with illness, but you know, in this case, we're talking about individuals who are dealing with illness. Like there's a certain level like certain mindset that you have to have to be able to you know face each day so you know one i'd like to ask like where do you draw your strength from and two like how do you essentially i guess um manage your your mental health like are you seeing a a therapist or there wellness practices that you implement to kind of keep you you know 
in this in this state where even though yes you're feeling your emotions and there are days that are going to be bad days but that you can you know quickly bounce back to the positivity so first i want to say <laughs> that i appreciate this question and i appreciate the way you phrased it because i know you go through it yourself mm-hmm. so i just want to circle that back to you for a second and say thank you for that but um i do not see a therapist I need to. I am absolutely not against therapy. I love therapy. I just have not put the effort into finding a therapist to sit down and talk through my my emotions. I actually have a journal. And so I write in my journal quite a bit, you know, whenever there's ups and downs and everything in between. Um, but in terms of mental health, I didn't realize how mentally strong I was until I had to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's one of those, one of those situations where it's like insurance, you know, you would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. In right. this sense of in this sense of the conversation, I'm glad that I'm mentally strong. Um, and I'd rather be that than not be it and realize it at a time where, you know, I really need to be it. <laughs> right. So um I I honestly just take time for myself as much as I can. Uh I I am an active napper. (laughs) I rest whenever I get the opportunity and I have to, that's, I mean, I get tired from my medication, so there's no way around it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But um, I just take time for myself. I find places that make me happy and I go to them when I need to, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I do. I am going to find a therapist though, and talk to somebody. So folks, listen, if you know a good therapist that, you know, can chat with me and, you know, will sit on the couch and look at me really deeply and make me uncomfortable. Let me know because I need. <laughs> but uh, I forgot what your first question was. But in terms of a mental of a mental health uh, standpoint, I am glad that I have the mental health that I do, and I do want to get to a therapist to make sure that I preserve it because you can't pour from an empty cup. And I find myself, I don't, I try not to stretch myself as thin as I used to do. Um, I, I've that's part of my mental health and part of my my self-care routine is saying no to some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I just try to make sure that my cup stays relatively as full as it can with things that make me happy, activities that take my mind off of things and rest when I need to rest. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I maintain my mental health. But I am going to go to a therapist for sure, because it's important. Therapy is very important, um, especially when you're in this this. Uh, community, I suppose, if you want to call it, uh, (laughs) this terrible, terrible community to be in. Um, but yeah, therapy is important. It's, it's good to just talk to somebody and get your feelings out. Somebody unbiased, somebody that you can say the, the ugly, mean, nasty, horrible things to rather than keeping them inside of yourself, you know, and, and really get to the bottom of why you're feeling like that and just let it out in a healthy space. I think that's super important. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, in general, having a a sound mind, you know, being able to face obstacles, you know, from a perspective where it's like, yes, we're facing these obstacles, but there is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's, that's so important. And I think, especially when you're dealing with like illness, chronic illness, that it's so important to, to be able to, to work on. I mean, we're not always going to have like, you know, we don't come out the gate with a strong sense. But I think that one thing that you said, you didn't know how strong you were mentally until you had to be. And I think that's so powerful. And I think that a lot of us, like that is our story, right? We didn't think we were that strong until we were faced with some, some stuff. And it's like, didn't know. But then it's like, all right, I'm strong, but I need to maintain the strength. Yep. 
Absolutely. That's where, yeah, that's where the therapy, that's where the journaling, I, I love that you journal. I think that we underestimate journaling, um, you know, especially for those who are not yet ready, because with therapy, you know, it can bring up so many other things outside of what it is that you are going there for. But, yeah. you know, for those who are not uh, mentally ready and emotionally ready to go into a therapy situation, I I think that journaling is, is a really great um, stand in, I guess, until you get there. It is. And it's I honestly feel like I, I don't feel guilty because like, who am I guilting besides myself? But like, I try to update it as much as I can, you know what I mean? And like by as much as I can, sometimes that means like maybe once a month, you know, where Mm -hmm. I just, just dump emotion into it um, and kind of go from there. But I try to, I try to update after major life occurrences and things like that, like scans. I always try to update after scans. I always update before scans because I'm usually going through scansiety and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I update before milestones, you know, birthdays and, and, you know, this time of year, while it's exciting because it's my birthday time of year, this is also winding down into diagnosis time. And so mm. Christmas for me has been different since 2018. Um, every Christmas for me is always just slightly bittersweet. Um, you know, especially if if the conditions are not ideal. <laughs> right. And what I mean by that is like if I'm not with my full family or, you know, it's not like this may sound super cliche, but like it's not snowing and I don't have hot chocolate. Like, you know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like if it's not a Hallmark Christmas movie for Christmas time for me, it's always a little bittersweet. But, um, you know, I forgot where I was going with my whole train of thought on this. <laughs> what was I even going with this? I just got off the train and started wandering into the woods. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it does. Right? And I, I have, usually I'm, I'm better than this. I'm usually much better than this. But yeah, I think. Uh, this time of year is always just a little bit more difficult, but journaling, I do feel, okay, that's where I was. Mm -hmm. Journaling does um, make me feel a lot better. And one day in the very near future, I may write a book and I find that my journal is probably going to help me do that because it's going to help me remember some of these things that I've done and Mm -hmm. some of the angers, like I've, I've written about arguments and I've written about, you know, like friendship battles and all that kind of stuff. And it's all in there. You know, it's, it's very raw. It's very emotional. It's it's definitely one of those things where if somebody read my journal, I would feel very, very much exposed. And mm-hmm. I don't know how I'd feel about that. And that's how I know that, you know, my realist of feelings are in there because right. if it fell into the wrong hands, it could be dangerous, you know, like that kind of situation. Um, and for me, I like that I'm able to do that when I want. Like, I don't have to worry about scheduling with someone to sit down with someone. Like, I can just say, you know what? It's time. Right. <laughs> and I can just write a journal entry uh, and kind of go from there. So it's it's definitely something that, like you said, if you don't have the, if you're not mentally strong enough yet to go into therapy or you're just not there yet, journaling is a, is a good second option until you get yourself into that chair, but definitely try to get yourself into that chair. Yeah. The chair is ultimately where it's at, but I, you know, but I definitely understand the anxiety that comes with seeing a therapist. So, um, yeah. so there's that, but, you know, aside from, you know, lung cancer, uh, and, you know, we know that you're going to be writing a book soon, you know, you have <laughs> WJMS media in which I know that we've talked about, uh, you know, using this platform to raise, you know, awareness on, on some, on health and, and wellness and things of that nature. So what are some things that we could, cause I always like, you know, to kind of like segue to like, you know, what are, what, what are, what are some of the positive sides of things, right? Like we talked about 
uh, the illness, your journey, but with, you know, but you're pushing through outside of, you know, having a full-time employee somewhere, you're pushing through with your media. And so what are some things that we could maybe look forward to with respect to, you know, the awareness that you're continuously raising for lung cancer, et cetera? I've got some things coming. I have been when I say I've been busy this month, I have been busy this month and I've done a lot of advocacy this year. It may not look like it um, yet, but everything is turning up now. Mm. <laughs> like everything is coming to fruition right now. Like I've got this interview with you happening. I just did an event yesterday. My CBS interview just went live today. Oh, nice. I got the longevity commercial that I'm in, the PSA that I'm in. And that went live today as well. I have another interview next week. So I have all of these things all culminating this month because it's Lung Cancer Awareness Month. And I kind of mm-hmm. just went ham. I was like, I'm just going to do every all the things. Um, and it just seems like everything's kind of culminating this month. So I would say just make sure you're locked into WJMS Media because as I'm going to be, I'm going to be posting a lot of things over the next week or two, um, especially leading up to my birthday. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like, <laughs> kind of like flooding your timeline with lung cancer advocacy. So beware. I'm sorry, but not sorry at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's, there's a lot of things coming up. I have some really, really big things happening next year that I'm excited about. I can't discuss them just yet because they're still mm-hmm. confidential, but I have a lot of things coming up on the horizon. Uh, WJMS Media is, of course, going to continue to move forward. Uh, we're going to be, we're going to be bigger. We're going to be better uh, next year. And I'm excited about that. And I'm just looking forward to, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of bewildered how 2022 has ended already. And I'm getting ready to say that I'm looking forward to 2023, but here we are nonetheless. Um, and you know what, can I segue into something real quick? Yeah, I definitely. forgot to say, um, to answer other, another part of your question that you asked me earlier, you know, you asked me about like how I move forward and stuff like that and stay strong. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I will say is that I empty my emotion cup regularly. So I feel like us as women, we go through a lot of things in life. We deal with a lot of different things, whether it's, you know, struggles at work, you know, we're getting a fraction mm-hmm. of the pay, whether it's, you know, Roe versus way. Now we can't even control our own bodies. We're dealing with, you know, maybe we're single, we're married, we're married, but feel like we're single, all of the above, you know, like we deal with all of these things and we just kind of bottle it up um, until, you know, at some point something small sets us over the edge. Like something like I spilled my cup of coffee on the kitchen counter and I burst into tears. When you hear something like that, that to me tells me that somebody hasn't emptied their emotion cup, you know? And so for me, I have a lot of different things that fill my cup on a regular basis, whether it's like reminder that you have lung cancer, whether it's, hey, you can't do this right now because of X, Y, and Z, or all of the different complications that come with life when you get this diagnosis, my cup fills up a little bit faster than it used to. And so I find like every now and then I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and just cry for a few minutes. (laughs) It's like, not for any reason. Like, I'm not like sad or upset about anything. I just like, I just going to cry for just a few minutes. I'm just going to just, I just need to cry real quick. (laughs) And then like, once I'm done crying, I'm like, all right, address my crown, keep it moving. And then I'm good to go. You know, but it's, I tell people all the time, like, if you get to a point where the slightest little things are setting you to a point where you're angry to tears or you're even in tears, it means that you need to take a minute and empty your emotion cup because your cup is full and every little thing that's adding to it is overflowing it. So you need to take a minute and empty out all the stuff that you've built up the last couple of whatevers and then start with an empty cup and you'll feel better. And honestly, it's something that has helped me get through a lot of things because I'm like, 
why am I so upset about this right now? And I'm like, oh, you know what? I haven't cried in like a month. Let me go ahead and, and shed some tears real quick. I need to get myself together. Um, so I'm just a big proponent of just emptying that emotion cup whenever you need to. And whenever you feel like you're at that point where sl- small things, small inconveniences become major emotional outbursts. Um, it's it's important to do that. No, it's, so, it's super um, important to do that because I think that that also, like when you're dealing with illness, people don't understand like how emotions can, can you know, offset, trigger, exacerbate what you're already going through in your body. And that's something I know that I've had mm-hmm. to learn because I'm not... I mean, I say I'm not, you know, I'm, I've, I've evolved a bit, but I was not the most emotional person. Like things would happen and I would not, you would never catch me crying. I used to tell people I only cry if, if I'm at a funeral, like after that, like what else am I crying about? Life is hard. You keep yeah. moving. And, you know, yeah. and that's how a lot of us were raised to like not take the time to acknowledge our hurts, our pains. Um, emotions were Girl, for that's the week. A Haitian, that's a Haitian thought process right there. Yeah, yeah that is definitely, <laughs> listen, <laughs> I grew up in a house like where my mom, my grandmother, <laughs> my mom, like I never saw, I, the only time I ever saw them cry was at someone's funeral, like dead ass legit. And they were not huggers. They <laughs> mm-hmm. were not like kissers. It was just like, okay, why are you crying? Mo- you know, woman up, like woman up was a term that was used in my house regularly. And keep it moving. So, you know, growing up like that, you know, it's, you know, it it was rough already because then people think you're emotionless. But then now when you're dealing with illness and you're realizing like bottling up all these things could possibly have contributed (laughs) to to your illness. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you have to release. And I feel like when I do release, I feel 10 times better. So it it just, this is just to say there are many of us out there who grew up the same way and it's okay to cry. It's okay to release. It's okay to feel your emotions. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. Yeah. If anything, it makes you stronger because once you release those emotions and get them out, then you're able to face whatever, whatever, whatever else is coming your way Mm. without, you know, with that emotional strength that you needed from before. So, and this goes for men and women. I make sure I want, I want to make sure I put that in there too. There is no problem with a man emptying his emotion cup as well. Like I have nothing against that. No. And if there are women out there making you men feel such way, drop those zeros. Drop that zero. Drop that dun dun dun. <laughs> like, what is that saying? But you guys get the point. <laughs> Drop it like it's hot. I don't know. We're, we're old Drop as hell on this like podcast right now. What are we talking about? I don't even know. I, I felt like there was this saying where it's like, drop that zero because he's not a hero. I don't know. It was, was it a Ca- Captain Planet reference? I don't know. I that might have been wow you just really took it back okay i did take it back i did and i still didn't get it right no it's all right though you your intentions were there they i see what you were trying to do no i always (laughs) attempt and i never land like i just want to (laughs) land oh man keep flying girl you'll get there someday (laughs) i'm gonna keep Uh, so i know that we are you know we've definitely talked a a lot about uh lung cancer awareness we've talked you know we've gotten into some personal you know uh gem dropping um (laughs) conversations but you know before i end you know i really want to uh, I guess, talk a little bit about what does raising awareness look like for the community at large, right? Because I understand, you know, you're an advocate, you're you're currently, you're going through this, you're fighting, right? 
Mm -hmm. Um, but for those of us who are on the outside, you know, we are, we do not have lung cancer. Like what does that look like in terms of how do, how can we raise awareness effectively, right? How can we support you guys, you know, in, in this, in this fight for better treatments, for screenings, you know, for longevity in life? Like what does, uh, awareness really look like? For me, and in my opinion, awareness looks like just giving a damn, to be honest with you. And that means what that means is if you have, like I said earlier, if you have friends and family in your life who maybe have chronic illness or things that they've dealt with forever that they've been ignoring because they don't have time or they don't have this or they don't have that, push them to get, you know, the help that they need, push them to get to the doctor, push them to get to whatever it is that they need to feel better. Um there's also this this idea of educating people and informing them the right things. I've I say this all the time, but the reason why lung cancer has such a, a stigma about it being a smoker's disease is because you know all of these these cancer societies have all you know drilled into our heads since we were small that if you smoke you get cancer. If you smoke you get cancer. So much so that people think the absence of smoking means you're not going to get cancer, and that is not correct. You know that's that is a half truth and it's misinformation, and so. When people, you know, come to me or if I, if I say to somebody, Hey, I have lung cancer and they're like, Oh, but you don't smoke. After I stop them right there and I educate them and say, No, I don't smoke. I never did, but that's not what you need to get lung cancer. All you need to get lung cancer is lungs. Um, and I make sure that they understand that, you know, and so I think part of it is just educating people when they're incorrect and letting them know the right information and then asking them to somebody else when to do the same thing when it's presented to them. Um, I think that is that's how you advocate in the community. I think showing up to events, you know, if people are having um, events in the community about certain things, there. I mean, yeah, the donations are great. Like somebody's like, "Hey, here's fifty thousand dollars for your cause." That's awesome. But if nobody shows up to your cause, that's that's also super damaging. You know, mm-hmm. so bodies in seats is a big deal, and presence is a big deal. You know, it's it's almost as big of a deal as the donations themselves. So make sure that you show up for the events and you be there. Don't just phone it in or throw a donation at it and say, this is good enough. Like, show that you care by being there in person and bring somebody with you while you're at it. Um, and just understanding that this is, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to be continual, and it's going to be a long process. And as long as you understand that it's a a marathon and not a sprint towards education and towards advocacy, then I think that we can start to make some change. But, you know, don't think that this is going to come ha- like really quickly or overnight and just saying one thing to one person is going to make all the difference in the world. You have to continuously and continually educate people and continue to show up and continue to contribute and to con- continue to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And I think, you know, that is what's key, right? It's not just about writing a check. It's about being present there Mm -hmm. in the fight. It's about taking the time to educate yourself and to continuously educate. You know, one thing I do like about the awareness month is that it gives us an opportunity to, you know, shine a greater light on these causes. But I always say that, you know, after the month is over, you know, people are getting diagnosed with breast cancer, with lung cancer, with diabetes, with all these issues every single day. And so it's it's not something that we can just pick up during the month, you know, when it's essentially kind of like popular and convenient. It's something that we yeah. should still continue to talk about, even when it's, you know, December, January, February, March, and, you know, and so on and so on. 
And I think that platforms, you know, such as ours, WJMS, especially, which is, you know, really focusing a lot of the attention um, and the space to lung cancer awareness. You know, these are the platforms you guys should be following. Like, yes, we always want to have a little shade room in the mix because we do need to laugh and see what tomfoolery is happening (laughs) in the world. But the same energy that you'll put toward the ratchetness and the things that are not necessarily serving our community and serving our people. Um, You know, we want that same energy when it comes to the content that we produce, that's really here to essentially save lives. So I think that, you know, when people are wondering, how can, how can I help raise awareness? How can I support? I mean, it could be following a platform, following a page that's raising awareness and sharing it with your friends, sharing the content, reposting is free. Yep. Uh, so I think that, you know, that's what I think about, you know, when I, when I think about, uh, you know, basically, you know, when I kind of draw more so on what you said, and I think about what does larger awareness look like? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, as long as we continue to have the conversations, that's important. And I, I would just love to see the world, honestly, not just the United States, but the world keep that same energy that we have for breast cancer for all of the cancers, including lung cancer, because mm-hmm. no, it is the one cancer killer of men and women in the United States. It's ahead of breast cancer, colorectal cancer, and prostate cancer combined. But it has such a stigma attached to it that we get, again, a fraction of the funding and a fraction of the attention, but it's the number one cancer killer in the United States. So- there's a whole bunch of things that in the lung cancer sphere just don't make any sense. Like the number one cancer killer in the United States doesn't get as much funding. Um, the lung cancer screening or the lung cancer criteria screening isn't set up to catch people so that this is detected early like it can be. If it's if you catch it early, it's curable and treatable. But the lung cancer screening criteria is not set up to catch anybody early. You know, it's like it. there's just the lung cancer realm that just don't make any sense. And I'm like, that that math ain't math. And, and I just wish that we could fix some of these things and, and adjust these so that it makes more sense. They should adjust the lung cancer screening criteria to capture everybody because lung cancer is an everybody disease. It's not just a smoker's disease. It's everybody because all you need is lungs to get it. So the same way they push us women to get mammograms at 40 to start screening for breast cancer needs that same energy put into lung cancer screening at an earlier age because it really is not a difficult screening. It's a low dose CT scan. It honestly is quick and easy um, and it doesn't take a whole lot. So they just need to keep the same energy for all of the different cancers um, that they have for breast cancer. And that's not to take anything away from any other cancers in the world because they're all terrible and they all deserve equal treatment. But in the terms of, you know, the, the skew of things, there needs to be a more equal realm for all of them. They need to all be on an equal playing field and we need to all have the same opportunities for advancements and treatments um, that that each of the else gets. Right. So we have so much more work to do. <laughs> right. It's like there's, you yes. know, <laughs> there's all, all I'm here is there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot yeah. of work. Um, but, you know, we're all doing yeah. our part, you know, on on whatever scale that we can but i really appreciate this conversation as always i love having you on the platform just kind of sharing your story and just sharing about the good work that you're doing and raising awareness and so um the people who you know might have just kind of slipped in until you know some people they don't <laughs> listen from the beginning right they kind of like ah let me fast forward so 
Um, share with us again your platform. I know, you know, I always say in the beginning of the show, WJMS Media, but, you know, what's the at handle for those who are like, I, okay, you know what? I'm going to make a commitment to, you know, educate myself and to really be a, a true supporter of this cause. Where can I find Jamie? Where can I find WJMS Media? Well, if you're looking for WJMS Media, you can just type in WJMS Media on any of the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and TikTok. Um, we're also on YouTube with a little bit of content there. Uh, we have a link tree page that has access to all of the different areas where you can check out our content, including our archives, this type of show here, and uh, Fired Up and Sound Off and any of the roundtables that we've done through WJMS Media. If you want to follow me personally, um, that's cool too. You can do that. <laughs> My <laughs> book is Jamie uh, J-A-Y-M-I-E-J-A-M. And then my TikTok is It's Just Jams. Uh, my Snapchat is Oh Snap It's Jams. And my Instagram <laughs> is Just Jams. You might see a theme here. Uh, but mostly, <laughs> mostly, if you go on WJMS Media, at some point, something's going to link back to me and you can find me that way. But yeah, definitely check me out. Um, I like to have a lot of fun on my pages. It's not all lung cancer advocacy and, and doom and I promise I'm silly at heart and I'm still silly at heart will always be silly at heart. Um, but you will find nuggets of lung cancer mixed in with the silly. So a little bit of sweet to go with the bitter is, is how I feel is <laughs> my page okay. in a nutshell. I did not know that your Snapchat was Oh Snap. <laughs> is that cute? Is that not the cutest name? So cute oh Snap is Snapchat, Snap. I don't know. Like, I, I was, like it that's why me. I did that. It tickled me. No. <laughs> and because I'm like the only one in America that still says Oh Snap. So I'm like, Oh Snap. That's right. So yeah. I'm like, Oh Snap is Jam. That's perfect. Yep. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Anyway. All right, then, Jammy Jams. Well, thank you so much for, you know, being a guest. You're always welcome here to talk about anything, not just lung cancer awareness. But thank you for making the time to to be part of this show. Anytime. I love being on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we'll talk about something a little more. Maybe I'll have you in for one of our uh, preliminary shows where we talk about all the craziness that's going on in these streets. We haven't really had the preliminaries happening because you know we have such you know such great guests and such great content and we want to make sure that we give enough time uh because the reality mm -hmm. is you guys are not tuning into two-hour shows anymore it's not a thing <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna put the pre we're gonna put the preliminaries on TikTok. We already talked about this. Right, yeah. This. So 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 we're still gonna have the preliminaries, guys. You guys know my, you know, my I have a, a weird relationship with, with TikTok, but I am overcoming. Um, <laughs> thanks to Jams here. You know, she we had we had an intervention and we yes. talked about how I just need to do it already. So we will be doing it. Um so if you are not already following Black Ivy Media. Um, and we don't have an according to our P page on TikTok, but we have Black Ivy Media. So I guess that's where you'll find our TikTok stuff. It's not as active, guys, but you know, we're mm -hmm. working on it. Just follow come us. On, anyway. Come over to my page. I'm at. Yes. Yeah. Jams, <laughs> Jams is active. Jams is, is TikTok popular, TikTok celebrity. Mm, not yet. I would I'm just trying to make this money. <laughs> anybody with like 60 something thousand views, 90 some thousand views, in my opinion, is TikTok celebrity. I mean, I don't know what more you want. <laughs> I, need the, I need them dollar bills is what I need. I need that the ends. True. I need the money. To, and then I'll feel something. <laughs> I feel you. I totally feel you. <laughs> yeah. All right, then, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I will talk to you guys next week. Yeah.
You were listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. Can't wait to come back. So-